Hey, we're back for a second week in a row. And the music is back as well. I think I might keep it. I like the James Bond vibe. Today we'll step back for a moment from AI, although we'll get to it at the end, to talk about data strategy and what it means to have a data culture in your business. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, I'd appreciate it very much if you'd share it with your colleagues or anyone else you think might find it valuable. That's how we keep it going. All right, without further delay, let's dive right into it. Charles Baldridge is the CEO of Soul Analytica, and he's here today to talk about data strategy. Charles, welcome to CC Life Science. Great. Thanks for having me, Chris. Happy to be here. Shout out to Lindsay Spiller, who's Friday Morning Coffee's connected us even though he doesn't listen to his podcast he should no (laughs) (laughs) indeed maybe that'll get him in here and listening and then he'll be excited to share it with all his friends too yeah exactly all right so my first question when we met and i heard you talking about this is what is a data strategy and then beyond that why should a company think about having one and putting it together yeah sure so that's as good a place to start as any i as soul analytica what we do, we consider ourselves outsourced CDOs or chief data officers for our small and mid-sized businesses. And I think when we were talking, when we started talking about the concept of a data strategy, it what we do as Soul Analytica is everything that's data, data strategy res, related, which includes coming in and talking to you about what a data strategy is. And so sometimes for some of our clients who are you know, just exploring the data world or, or have heard magical things about it and want to get involved, we'll come in and talk about um, when you have a data strategy, you are thinking about being data-driven as a company. You are making decisions based on numbers and data that you've collected from your different systems. And instead of shooting from the hip, you're making decisions and you're thinking about your company from a data perspective. And there's a lot of small companies out there that have made it a long way and have been very successful kind of shooting at the hip and just making decisions based on their gut. And that works really well, but you can supplement it with information coming from lots of different sources in your small business or your large business. Um, And Having a data strategy as a company means that kind of from the top down, from CEO all the way down through your kind of frontline workers, when somebody has a question or somebody has a, um, a, a problem that's in front of them, if they have a strong data strategy, they're thinking first, what does the history look like? What do I have available to me to show what that is? And that's data. That's the information that is available to you. And so I think of a data strategy from that perspective as it's the first thing that people go to when they're thinking about making a decision is what does the data say? What information do we have available to us so that we can do a good, clean job of making that decision and defending it? Do you find that some of those companies, even though they're doing very well, don't realize what a rich resource of data they actually are sitting on top of? Yeah, I think in concept, most companies, most CEOs at this point, because of just all the the buzz and coverage around data, probably know in the back of their head that data is out there and that it's really valuable and that they should be using it. They may not be acting on it quite yet. And what we've seen is that a lot of larger successful companies have had a data strategy for a long time. And 
it used to be expensive and now it's more and more accessible to more and more companies, which is why that small and mid-sized portion of the market is opening up and there are opportunities to help these companies start down their data journey and start collecting that information. And so, yeah, no, I think there are definitely companies out there that are flying blind and wish that they could be doing more of a data strategy and just don't know how to start. And hopefully those people are listening to this podcast because that is the a great place to start is to start learning about uh, what data is available and what you can do with it. Yeah, I can imagine even now, you know, as you mentioned, that if the expense has gone down and someone's thinking about it, it can just be one of those overwhelming things like, oh, or maybe they realize I'm pretty sure our data isn't in great shape or whatever. And they find all these reasons like, oh, it's, we got to get over this mountain before we even start using it. Or I don't know what questions I would ask yet if I had it. So what kinds of data might companies have that they're not thinking about that they could use to do a better job? Yeah, great question. So when I think about data, so I'll admit I'm a data nerd. I've been doing it all my career and especially in the last 15, 20 years of my career. So I see data everywhere. When I think about where is data coming from, you know, I, I'll just walk around through my day. Like I wake up and I'm browsing the internet. So I'm leaving digital exhaust, just where I've been, what I've visited, what ads I've seen, what websites I've visited, what searches I've done in my Google. And then if I'm driving to work, I'm thinking about the data that's being generated by cars. How many cars are going through intersections? How fast is your car going? How fuel efficient, or in my case, energy efficient because it's an EV, is the car? What? How much should I expect to get out of my battery as it's left? And then I'm arriving at work and so there's a key card on the door. And so it's keeping track of the fact that somebody came in that door or that the door opened. There's monitors that are recognizing the temperature of your workplace and then you sit down at your computer and you might be access a data set that is available to you because because your company has purchased it on a data exchange or you're accessing you're looking in the refrigerator right and and you're seeing all your lab files and seeing are any of them coming up to being almost out of date those are i mean it's literally every moment of our lives we're generating data now. I didn't even mention the fact that there might be video collecting unstructured data and seeing all those different things that are going by and storing that in a database somewhere. So it's really pervasively all around us. So it can be overwhelming. And I think you mentioned in your question, what if you don't even know what you want to measure? Well, that's a place where as your business, you want to think about what are the things in your business that are that really matter. And don't worry too much about getting all of it because the process of getting deeper into data and having a data culture is iterative. So you're going to start with um, some really obvious questions. And then you might realize as you're starting those questions that you have deeper questions and then you can go down that path. It, it is iterative. I think there's an old, there's an old waterfall view of the world where it's we want to know everything we want to know and we're going to build that and we're going to get it done. That's part of why it used to be expensive. You had to do it that way because it was expensive. Now that it's inexpensive, you can do that. You can say, well, I've got a weather app. I want to know what the temperature is. Once you have the temperature, now you want to know what the high and the low is. And so you can just iterate and you can ask that next question. It's possible. Nice. Yeah. 
So we are all just a walking stream of ones and zeros, leaving a tr- an invisible trail of ones and zeros everywhere we go. <laughs> yeah, there, there is all that digital exhaust, yes. I love that phrase. So I'm going to skip one question because you mentioned something there that I think is even is better. I mean, people will get the idea like you've talked about the kind of questions people could ask and we could they could dig in deeper if they needed to. But data culture, what does a data culture look like? Yeah, so a data culture, again, is kind of as you as a company or it might be you as a family or you as somebody who's walking through the grocery store and looking at prices is when you are confronted with a problem or an unknown or something that maybe it isn't known and you just, you want to get more detail is asking yourself first, is there information that can get this for me? And we all naturally do that. Maybe some more directly and and specifically than others, but you know, the sun is going to come up this morning because it came up yesterday morning. That at a very high level is data. It's pretty obvious to all of us, but is you are an expert in your field. If you're tracking those vials in the refrigerator, you're an expert of when those are going to expire and when you have to use them by. And so the data culture there is really specifically mentioning and noting that this is information that you're collecting and you're storing and then making an an effort to store it in a way that gets everybody speaking the same language within your cohort or your group of people that you're talking with. So sort of to rephrase, I mean, as you were mentioning, walking through the grocery store, and then I realized how many things I look up on a daily basis. I know there is data somewhere on something, regardless of what it is. So I can find that and then carrying that mentality into your business or your daily life, like what data could I keep in, in advance of needing to know something down the road, for example? So what do we have in our company that we should be making sure we're doing a good job of holding it in the right way so that when we have these questions, we can find them easily? Yeah, that's a great great question. So it brings up in my mind the, the difference between structured and unstructured data. There's structured data, which is the data that's it's already tabular. It's what's going to be in your Excel sheets or if you're, you know, collecting a list of prices of things, widgets, it's going to be an Excel sheet. It's going to be pretty structured. It's going to have a set number of columns. It's easy to drop into a database. That's going to be structured data. And then there's the unstructured data, which might be the audio of this podcast, or it might be a video. As an example of this podcast specifically, you might be listening in your car and hear a really great idea. And then by the time you get home, it's gone and you don't remember what it was. And so you can go back and you can retrieve that podcast. You can listen in for that specific part, but it's unstructured. It's not like you can go at a table and really easily like search for a word that somebody said and find it. That by the way, is more possible now that there's a lot of technology to do that. I got an episode on that coming up. I'm just going to pitch it right now. Someone I talked to yesterday about unstructured data in doctor's notes, and I'll leave it at that, but huge resource. Yeah. And so those notes might be stored in a database as an image and they might be parsed into words. So in terms of what do you collect, it really comes down to what are the questions you want to ask, answer. And that's the place to start. And then you're probably going to have 
a, a ballpark of types of things. I have clients who do medical billing. And so they want to know what are CPT codes that their patients are doing and what are their names and when have they been invoiced and when have the insurance companies been invoiced and when have payments come in and which insurers take how long to, to reimburse all of that information. But then as you start to dig in and you realize, oh, this is really great, but I wish I knew is there a correlation between the age of the patient or the sex of the patient or what zip code they live in or what type of house they live in and all of those other pieces of information? And so you might want to come back and supplement that data. Um, you might get lucky and it may be data that is already in your EMS and so you're already collecting it, um, EMR, sorry, uh, and you're already collecting. So you have it available to you and it's easy to merge in. So what we can do, and this is something that we have, as you have experience doing data and you get somebody to come in and help, we can get a pretty good sense for what is the ballpark of the types of questions you're going to ask and then what data is available. General rule of thumb is if you've got structured data available, go ahead and grab it. But if it's easy to add in later, then it may not be part of phase one. It may be that for phase one, you really just focus on the things that you need and then know that you're going to come back and append and add in additional data. Nice. So we had a, a previous conversation and we talked about examples, even where a company might share their data with a, with a customer. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that happens. I, I think one of the things that you realize as you have to have a data culture is that your data is valuable. It, you may be surprised at who's interested in it. And you may find that kind of one man's trash is another man's treasure. Or you may just know that you have data that's really valuable and other people would like to have it. So as an example, going back to what we were just talking about with medical billing records, if you've got a large data set, and I'm talking hundreds of thousands of patients, or maybe even just a thousand patients, but if you have a lot of patients and with a really high certainty, which insurance plans and which insurers take how long to pay and what percentage of what you bill they actually pay, That's it's valuable to you because you can go and look at your kind of expected accounts receivable. But it may also be valuable to other companies that maybe aren't even in the medical billings. And so you might be in a position where you can take that data and you can share it out. And so when you're sharing that data, you, you could, in, in that case, it may be that your clients as a medical biller want to see their own expected accounts receivable, but maybe they only have 100 or 200. They don't really have enough clients to do a good job of making that prediction. But with a wider data set that can be de-identified, de you can then be able to do a bigger sample and a bigger query to get a better answer. So that's a sharing of raw data where you could say, here's my big data set and it's de-identified and somebody else can buy it. You may also want to share analytics with your customers instead of data. And that's where analytics is when you start taking the, the data that's out there and you turn it from data into information and then you take it from information and you turn it into knowledge. And then as you've got even more of that and you find it again, you turn it from knowledge into wisdom. And so it may be that your clients don't care about the data. They want the knowledge or they want the wisdom. 
And so you can distill that. And that's one of the things that we do is we build data visualizations that are really bringing out those KPIs that our clients and their clients might want. And so we'll put those in a dashboard and we'll share those KPIs, key performance indicators out with our clients. And so a lot of our clients would be subscribing to the information and the knowledge that's available. So it's one of the places where our clients and where lots of different companies might want to share that information with their clients. Yeah. So I was going to ask, what does the wisdom look like? But essentially you've boiled it down perhaps into some graphical representation. And for example, your clients, based on what you've seen, they don't need the nuts and bolts of the data, but they say, these are factors that we should focus on because we know that if we do X in the big picture, we'll get a better result on something. It's like, how should we think as opposed yeah. to what is in there? And sometimes you'd be surprised at what the clients do with that knowledge or that information, they may go create their own knowledge because they're looking at the KPIs that you've presented. It may be that you're presenting total sales by month over the last 12 months. And you might look at it and you see the line and it goes up and down and, and that and the, this and that and the other thing. The client sees it and they're immediately, especially if they're data-driven, looking at it in the context of the other information that they have. And they look at that line and instead of seeing it going up and down, they're saying, oh, well, there's seasonality in that. And that's when we laid off our salesperson, John. And this is when we hired the other person that did the other thing. And that's when you look at that information and you start to turn it into knowledge. Cool. All right. So this podcast always comes around to artificial intelligence, which is getting more and more common. And this will, I'm sure this questions are going to come up every time I talk to somebody about it, but what's the most important thing to know about starting an artificial intelligence? Yeah. So we do some artificial intelligence as well as managing the entire data progress and spectrum for our clients being outsourced CDOs, doing data collection all the way through data science. And I view it as a staged process where you're going to collect the data, you're going to store it, you're going to display it, you're going to create KPIs and analysis, and you're going to go from that kind of descriptive to the predictive, which is that AI kind of fits both descriptive and predictive and somewhat prescriptive as well. But when you start doing the AI or when you start doing those AI ML machine learning type projects, you realize real quick that the hard part isn't actually running the algorithms. The hard part is getting the data in a place where you can use it to do the algorithms. And so you find that it's doing wrangling is the term that a lot of people use, getting it into a structure where you can start to answer the questions and, and run models against it. And then the other piece, and probably I should have started with this because it's the most important part, is you got to know what you are looking for. I think some people have this idea of AI as the magical button that you feed it a whole bunch of data and you push the button and then you get answers. Answers to what? Well, I don't know. How is my business doing? How is my experiment doing? Well, you have to be able to have a more specific question because it isn't just magic. It, it takes some directed learning. There are examples 
of interactive learning, give an AI a bunch of cards and it will figure out how to play poker if you tell it like how well it did on its hands. But you're going to be more efficient and you're going to get the answers to the questions you're looking for if you know what questions. So first is know what you're trying to accomplish. And second is make sure your data is prepared. And then third is make sure that you have people who can help you do and pick the right algorithms while you're running the artificial intelligence. Makes total sense. So talk about what a data exchange is and why that might be useful in this process that we're talking about. Yeah, so all these things tie together. We were talking about why you might share your data out to a customer, why you might want to augment your data. Augmenting when, in that example, we wanted to know what is the sex or the age of our patients. That information might be available out on the internet. And so you can go to a data exchange and you can buy that information. And the that information, I guess maybe we should just quickly say what a data exchange is. A data exchange is a place where companies or people can put data available for other people to consume. So that might be by subscription. It might be just free and open source. It might be that it's exclusive. It may be that you can go and work directly with a company and say, I exclusively want this and nobody else can have it. But the exchange is the place where you go out and either provide that data or purchase that data. So in the context of AI, we mentioned you want to know what your questions are. Well, it's iterative. You're not going to know every question. And in fact, if you're doing science appropriately, when you get the answers to questions, it actually makes more questions. And when you do those more questions, you may realize that there's additional data that you need to answer those questions and you don't have it. So you might go to a data exchange to collect and find that information and, and pull it in, bring it into your data infrastructure, into your warehouse or your data lake, and then expose it again to your analytics tools and to your artificial intelligence tools. And then you might be able to go and answer that question and make some more questions. That's a cool idea. So it just occurred to me, what does that process look like? Like there must be some normal, how do I say it? Like I'm buying something. I'm buying, how do I know? How do, how do I help them show me the right data? How do I know that when I go into a data exchange, I'm going to find data that's useful to me? I mean, I guess I'm just thinking about that as a consumer. Like, I come to you and I go, oh, I need to know this. How do I know that what you're going to give me has what I need inside it? What does that look like? Yeah, so you may be able to, it, it really is going to come data exchange to data exchange. You may be able to get a sample of the data that you're looking at. Sometimes you'll be able to look at a list of what are the column headers and the data types for the information that's available in that data exchange. Sometimes it may be blind faith based on the what the salesperson says that it has and whether you actually trust that salesperson. You, you may be able to get data on a trial basis. It is somewhat difficult to share data and then unshare it, but right. it is possible. And there are ways that you can make a data room where that data is available and you can take a peek at it and get a chance to explore it and see if it's going to be what you need. Sometimes that's easier with real-time data because if it ages out real quick, then when on the data exchange, you're probably paying for a subscription to get the most recent information. And if it's three days old, you don't care anymore. And so that's a place where you might be able to turn a subscription on for a 
fit for a couple days or a week or a month long enough to to test your hypothesis. And then if it's proving out that it's valuable, then you continue your subscription. Yeah, I was really just thinking from my experience, when I started my business, I bought a couple of mailing lists. I mean, paper mail, snail mail lists. Yeah. And I always, I think I saw some samples, but I was always worried, like, I need to see the names of the companies that you're telling me, you say it, it's this segment of an industry, but I could look in there and find out, like, oh, none of those companies are companies I'm interested in working with. Like, that's a question, like, how do I know I'm going to get what I want? But You've answered that. Charles Baldridge, where can people, if they want to learn more, where's the best place to learn more about what you're doing or get in touch with you? Yeah, so I'm at soulanalytica.com and feel free to reach out at charles at soulanalytica or info at soulanalytica and would be happy to have a discussion if anything piqued your interest here and or if you have a man, I wish I could do this project and I just don't know where to start and it's data related, then uh, we might be able to help out. Nice. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you so much for having me. This has been really interesting. Thanks. My pleasure. If you are wondering where I'm going with this podcast or how it's supported, those things are related but different. My goal here, in addition to my curiosity and learning about AI, is to create a meat brand for AI in the life sciences. The way it's supported right now is through Life Science Marketing Radio, which, in addition to being a podcast, is also my custom content studio, where I create content for life science companies to use in their demand generation programs. If you'd like to learn more, I will leave a link in the show notes where you can schedule a short chat. Until next time, bye-bye.